This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. If you were at the Edinburgh Festival in 2016, perhaps you were at the Fringe and you were, I don't know, seeing some cabaret. Uh, I'm joined in the studio by Anya Anastasia, a cabaret performer who's uh, chatting about her new cabaret show called Rogue Romantic. Serenades from a Delinquent Diva, uh, which is on at the Melbourne Spiegel Tent in Collingwood uh, and is has nothing to do with the Melbourne International Comedy Festival at all. So we're not going to acknowledge that. We're going to talk cabaret. What exactly <laughs> is cabaret to you? Well, it's a question that I could spend many an hour answering. Well, let's unpack it. <laughs> yeah, all right. Because um, often I think people think of cabaret... And if they're not familiar with the variations, I mean, there's almost as many genres of cabaret mm. as there are of contemporary music, for example. But people true. tend to think, I don't know, Kurt Weill era, Weimar kind of, or American style torch songs and show tunes. Yes. Packaged up into a neat little story with some narrative in between. Uh-huh. And so that it's a fairly limited picture of what cabaret is and can be. Well, for me, the essence of cabaret is that it is a performance, um, it's a performance art that is really strongly about the conversation. So it's not like the theatre where you go and you see a piece and there's that, you know, separation between the audience and the person on the stage. But what that... Um, what that level of um, audience interaction and dialogue and the format of the actual staging of the cabaret allows for is, um, I guess, real discussion of contemporary issues. And traditionally, cabaret has always been more about holding a, a mirror up to society and playing with ideas and challenging ideas and saying, hey, this is what we're doing right now. This is how our world is moving. Are we okay with that? Look at how this is unfolding. And I think because there is such an atmosphere of like having a good time and drinking and the audience being real um, present and implicated in the performance, uh, it has this sense of currency and urgency that you don't get in a lot of other art forms. So that's for me the exciting thing about cabaret. But also it is a very flexible genre. Like you're allowed, if you pick up circus skills and you discover, oh my gosh, look, I've discovered I can play the piano behind my head and do these acrobatic tricks. It has a home in your cabaret show, you know, or you can also write, um, you know, all these big show tunes that get people really in a good mood um, and have this underlying theme or subvert uh, darker and more um, challenging themes in a context where, like, people are open because they're having a nice time, they're laughing... And then you can bring in this moment in the show that's just like, bam, here's what it is to be human. It's really pa- it's really painful. There it is right on a plate. You feel squishy. Oh, my God. We weren't ready for this. But at the same time, you have prepared us by making us giggle and forget our inhibitions right at the top of the show. So with this show, Rogue Romantic, what are you trying to unpack and explore? What, How is the contemporary world and its issues reflected in this particular production? Well, this one is a much more personal show than my previous work. Like my former show, Torre Mort, dealt with a lot of environmental themes and um, uh, borrowed from imagery and uh, the story of Marie Antoinette and looking politically about disconnect with leadership and all of this kind of stuff. So it was a very broad um, interpretation of things that I thought were very relevant on a, like I guess, a broader political scale this new show rogue romantic came from very personal stories so stories of my relationships and stories of me trying to um 
I guess reimagine what is a fairly traditional relationship model so that I can have you know be as a woman putting my career first and it's a very challenging career and takes me to a lot of different places and um so I I guess in many ways it's um it's a feminist argument and it's overthrowing a lot of norms in uh how how we approach relationships and how we approach um women in society and this kind of thing and that it's really hard to um I guess to articulate it because it comes through in this maniacal stage persona diva that I've created that's basically just taken things that people have said to me like usually like from my former relationships things that men have said to me or um from my working relationships things that people have said to me and rolling it into this crazy diva and saying it back at people and seeing how it's how it's reacted so I've got this um this exterior personality on the stage that is very cavalier with her attitude to love and very um outgoing and sassy and and ego, quite egotistical but really just to throw out some of the th- things that are bounced around usually from a usually you'd hear it from a male voice so in some ways you've created a character who is like a funhouse mirror that can slightly distorted view of the world and showing it back at the audience and saying this is what men think of women this is what uh, men say to to strong women 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 who have a career and so forth yeah and what was difficult with me um in creating the show is that I really didn't want to say, you know, um, men and women because a lot of the time I've had like some of the strongest responses to my show have been from, um, I guess, from gentle males who have made similar like compromises or sacrifices or, you know, felt the struggle that I'm describing with my character. So that's why I didn't want to make it a very obvious spelled out argument. I just want to say, this is my story. I think it links in with a lot of, uh, there are a lot of other females in my position who are feeling this kind of challenges, but I don't want to limit it to saying just women or just men. Just this is my struggle. This is what I'm facing. Let's from here, look at the broader issues or think about the broader issues, or at least just, you know, acknowledge it. Um, Yeah. And also, and also being really mindful that there are, there are all sorts of people that fit in between that. So really just opening it up, throwing it out there for discussion. And, um, and presented uh, on stage with a backing band and original songs. So this all is, original this is songs, not a yeah. night of cover songs in which you've gone, well, okay, that Shirley Bassey number fits the, the emotional tone of the show. And, yeah. and this Bronsky beat song can be turned from a power, from a pop song into a, into a torch song. Yes. Kind of new music and new songs. All original music. I've written it all myself and then had help from an amazing musical director to translate it for my all female band who are playing. Um, uh, we've got grand piano, keys, um, so synth, bass, drums, ukulele. Um, and, yeah, uh, my director, musical director, has worked on shows like uh, Scotch and Soda with Company 2 and um, is currently in Berlin. So it's been a lot of um, Skype meetings and backwards and forth with him to, to get the music sounding where we're at. But, yeah, um, I've also really taken, with this show in particular, really taken the opportunity to parody lots of familiar songs that we hear, especially because we're dealing with 
it's the subject of love, essentially, and so there's been so many songs about love, and especially in this cabaret genre. So I, I kind of tip my hat to it and stick my tongue out to a lot of the classic um, styles. So we've got things that that almost sound a little bit Disney and then go totally bonkers or songs that like a big opening number that sounds like a Shirley Bassey Bond theme and then within like one minute I'm doing a handstand on someone that's gone into this Calypso feel or like Brazilian style music. So it's, you know, acknowledging the format and acknowledging the history of the format and also just going absolutely wild with the beautiful fact of Cabaret that you can parody anything and make it your own. And also making sure that you've got the offstage support that a show needs and particularly a new show needs to be tight and tested and ready as well. So directed by the lovely Mr. Wes Snelling Mm -hmm. and uh, you've also worked with a dramaturg as well. So you've got both a director shaping the show uh, in terms of hit this note and and stand here but also then a dramaturg who's doing the same with the emotional tone of the the show and the story. Yeah, that's right. And um, Claire Bartholomew's... uh, Yeah, I did work with Claire Bartholomew and that was largely in the like in the early days of first coming up with the ideas, I wrote all the songs first and obviously had a lot of ideas for the script and what I wanted to say with the show. She helped me, you know, put it into my skin really and find the character and find that how I deliver those messages like on a physical level and how I find moments of comedy and that, you know, I, she, that's what's something that she's extremely good at is that physical comedy and the, you know, clowning aspect, which is something I was really excited about bringing into this show because you've got this very glamorous kind of almost classic but a little bit more bonkers than that um cabaret diva and all this all the associated glamour but I really something I'm very fond of is subverting that with physical comedy or with you know making it a little bit daggy or a little bit dorky and therefore relatable and hilarious and fun. <laughs> well, it's clearly resonated with people because you won uh, an award over at the Adelaide Fringe this year, having gone and done a, a crazy, what, four or five weeks over in Adelaide? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was bad. I did three shows and lots of guest spots and didn't sleep for a month, but <laughs> well, here look- we are at the other end of it. <laughs> you're looking remarkably healthy. So, uh, it's I trained in Edinburgh. <laughs> the Edinburgh Fringe is a really good training for uh, doing those long stints. But um, yeah, we were really well, really well received in Adelaide, got really great audiences every night. Word of mouth spread really quickly. Um, I think because the audience does feel so implicated and part of the discussion that they go away and they tell their friends and um, really get on board with it. But we did win the um, we were one of the winners of the Made in Adelaide Awards, so they're supporting us to take it to London, Wonderground and Edinburgh this year. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So the show is uh, Anya Anastasia's Rogue Romantic Serenades of a Delinquent Diva. It's on in the Melba Spiegel Tent, which is located at 35 Johnson Street, Collingwood, on the Circus Oz site, just next door to the Tote, if you've not been there before. And it's... Uh, on now, uh, kicked off last night and is running through until Sunday the 2nd of April, 8pm. Uh, tickets are $30 or 25 concessions. Uh, you can book through trybooking.com and you can find out more about Anya and her work at anyaanastasia.com. Sounds like it's going to be a fantastic show. I hope you have a great Melbourne season. Thank you very much for having me. Now, we're going to talk festivals, but or a festival in particular, but not the festival you might be thinking of. Yes, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival is on at the moment. It's huge and there's so much to see. Go out and support some local comedians you've never heard of. But launched 
just last week is a new festival for Melbourne called Yirrimboi. It's the First Nations Art Festival. Uh, it's running from the 5th to the 14th of May. Back on Invasion Day in January this year, uh, the creative producer of Yirrimboi, Jacob Boehm, joined us on the line from Sydney at that stage because he was up there performing his own show. Uh, and he gave us just a teaser of the festival. Now the full festival program is launched. So I'm delighted to have Jacob in the studio in the flesh this time to uh, to talk us through the program highlights uh, of Yirrimboi. Jacob, nice to have you back here at Triple R. Thanks, Richard. Good morning. So to begin with, the name mm. Yirrimboi um, is uh, a word from the Kulin Nation language? Yeah, it's a shared language word between the Bunmurung and Wurundjeri uh, language groups of Melbourne uh, translates to tomorrow, which pretty much sums up, you know, how we're looking at the festival and and why we exist in order of gathering First Nations artists together um, to look at where we move forward in the future with our sector, with our practice, with our engagement with the rest of the world. There's so many things I like about the name and what it represents. Mm. The one that uh, it's it's. Uh, looking forward, it's looking into mm. a future, it's in inviting people to share that future together. Yeah. Um, and that it's uh, one of many ways that the festival will be reminding people not only that um, Indigenous Australian culture is, yes, 60,000 years old, but a living culture, a vibrant culture, but it's teaching whitefellas like me words in the language of the people whose lands I'm living and working on as well. Yeah, indeed. And that was um, an important decision that we came to. We have a Yurimboy Elders Council with representatives that make up... Um, that represent a, a, a few of the 29 Kulin Nations clan groups. Um, and, yeah, sharing language and with the people that walk on this country was an important decision that, yeah, was endorsed by the council. And so, yeah, we share that with you. It's even spilled into our programming streams. Um, so, you know, how we look at, at arts in terms of, you know, music and dance and, and theatre and all of that usually is quite siloed as a discipline, but in culturally, you don't have a, a painting or an illustration of something without a story that goes with it, without the song that goes to that story, the music that accompanies it and the dance that you do with it. So that's how we've looked at um, creating program streams. Um, so there's five different entry points, all which are in language for you to enjoy, Yerenboy. And all of which uh, some of us uh, in the arts will be going... I'm going to have to get my tongue around that, and it's important that I do. Mm. So uh, so I'm probably going to mangle a few names as we go, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Go for it, Richard. That's the, that's the way to do it. So one of the things that fascinates me about the program is that, uh, as you said, there are multiple entry points for people. Mm. And, yes, if you want to go and see a straightforward uh, a performance, you can go off uh, to the meat market and see a performance. But you can also, if you're... Um, a mum with a, a new baby, you can go and take part if your child is anywhere between literally newborn to, to two years old. Uh, you can go to Taronga Baban Nanjin, the new mum ceremony. Um, Nanjin. Nanjin. You got it. You got it, Richard. See, that's what you have to do. You just have to have a go at it. Um, yeah, the new mum ceremony. This was a, uh, an event or a, or a 
more than an event really it was an idea that was cooked up in one of our elders um, meetings where the elders thought because we land on the last day the last day of the festival lands on Mother's Day um, so the elders thought that they would like to offer this ceremony to um, new bubs, their mums, dads, carers to come along, join them on the banks of the Birrarung and to do ceremony for the children because the and to gift them their first possum skin pelt, which hopefully over years is added to until the point where they can make their own cloak. Um, it's believed, our elders believe, that it's important to welcome all mums and carers and new bubs to country because as you, too, Richard, as you stand on country, you are also the keeper and protector of the stories and the law of this place. And one of the other things that delights me about that is that... In the in the art sector, I guess, there's not necessarily always a lot of support for new mums. It's kind of like, oh, you've got a baby, you can't come to the theatre, you'll interrupt everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the baby starts crying in a gallery, kind of <laughs> everybody's glaring and, the, and the, the mum will feel uncomfortable and leave again. So having something that is specifically designed mm. to welcome uh, mums and new babies and, and uh, children under two into into culture, into ceremony, into an arts festival, mm. I think is fantastic. And at the other end of that, uh, Boy has set up um, a program specifically designed to support and cherish and celebrate elders and elders mm. of all communities, not just Indigenous elders as well, who, again, may not necessarily feel as welcomed or as comfortable at an arts event as they should. Yeah, so we um, have with Kalinya Communications and Jirahavi... Um, We've worked up an elders comfort program. So at uh, events, when you it's kind of like when you look through the program, if you're looking for accessibility symbols, it'll show up as one of our accessibility symbols. It's an elders comfort program. So we kind of are taking all the things that we naturally do at home in terms of how we respect and care for our elders. We're just formalising them in a program in those kind of arts venues where elders and senior citizens of our community are welcomed into those spaces and treated like VIPs. Mm. So the, the fact that at a simple level it's about welcoming elders, taking them somewhere where they can grab a tea and a coffee uh, and sit quietly and rest, if they're, particularly if they've, maybe they've uh, been bussed in or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then it's also saying we value your experience and your wisdom uh we support you from whichever community you come from and really and even a a simple gesture of of respect by saying well you go into the theater first yes exactly so we have a couple of things so we have um special drop off and pick up points for elders so that they don't have to walk too far to get anywhere um we have special lounge areas where elders can sit and be comfortable where they will also be served tea coffee food um we also have juice and biscuits and things on hand for people who are diabetic and have uh, particular issues as well as yeah um, special access to the theatre you choose the seat you want to sit in before everyone else gets in you've had 60 years of experience 70 years of experience damn right you should go and get your seat first exactly (laughs) now if uh, some other aspects of the festival, there are there's a workshop program, for example, so you can learn language, you can mm-hmm. learn song. Uh, so again, this notion of not just witnessing work on a stage, but exploring a culture in detail. Exactly, exploring the culture that we all live, play, and work on. Um, so we have two. 
programs, one in uh, Wurundjeri language, one in Bunmurung language, and there'll be workshops throughout the festival where you, it's active learning, so you don't have to sit and just, you know, repeat back words and, you know, take notes. It's active learning, so through song and through dance, through movement, um, which is a great way to learn. Uh, actively. So those will be going on. So check the website for those. They're being held. We've partnered with city libraries to deliver those and hopefully that will have an ongoing rollout. Year and Boy First Nations Arts Festival is running from the 5th to the 14th of May. The full program was just launched last week and if you've just tuned in, we're speaking to the festival's creative producer, Jacob Bowen. Director. Creative director. <laughs> I'm sorry. We have a team of producers. Yes, creative director. <laughs> so um, one of the, I guess, part of the, the focus, you're taking over the meat market in North Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, from uh, basically for the full length of the festival for a series of events under the title of uh, Wheelam Nagalat? Nalut. Nalut. Yes, yes, Willem Nalut. It translates uh, to our place. So Willem Nalut at the meat market will be our festival home and hub. Um, there is 10 days of programming throughout that. Most of our Mulu to give voice uh, program, which is all about live performance, circus, uh, contemporary dance, uh, participatory theatre is all there. We have a few of the industry forums there as well as panel discussions and um, the Elders Comfort program will be rolled out there. Um, yeah, that's our, kind of our chance to look at how an Indigenous-led venue can be, what what that can be for our city and potentially what they can be for other cities as well. It fascinates and frustrates me that uh, there are so many large performing arts centres around Australia. Uh, none of them are, in, are Indigenous-led and only mm. one of them, uh, Sydney Opera House, has a producer specifically set up to oversee a First Nations program mm. from an Indigenous background. So, yeah, this program is an opportunity to imagine and to say to the rest of the country this is what we could do, this is what a kind of an active Indigenous-led arts organisation presenting work and programming work could look like. Yeah, because we do. We have, the, we have the skills and the talent. We've got a, a venue now where we can have Indigenous, you know, curate it through an Indigenous lens. We can activate it through... Um, we've got mobs who are managing the ticketing, the front of house, the bar, um, stage management. You know, we've covered all bases. So... There's no reason why it shouldn't happen on a permanent basis in lots of towns and cities, but this is our kind of go at going, hey, you mob, here's how it could look. Yeah. Bit of a clarion <laughs> call. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and so at the meat market, for example, you can see uh, a new work by Blackflip, which is the, yes. the Indigenous program uh, within Circus oh, Oz. Um, and I'm really <laughs> looking forward to this because um, who's the director? Is it... Uh, Natano? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Natano's directing. Um, so it's First Nations director with a First Nations cast looking at, well, the, the, wor the work is Chasing Smoke. And we got a little preview at our media launch the other week. It's going to be cracked. It's very camp and cracked. I love it. David Thompson, who's the producer of Black Flip, has pulled together an amazing production. So, yes, get your tickets to that one. Uh, and then there's also... Um if you uh, want to kind of just get out and dance, uh, oh. Thursday the 11th of May at Fed Square, there's a dance party. Um, Nagara Bolato Menin? Yeah. Um, Naga. Naga. Bolato. You got that one. Mernian. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah. A full moon so dance party. It's dance to the big moon. So of course, because I'm a little kitchen witch, as soon as I got the gig, I looked up the uh, the lunar calendar, and we have a full moon smack bang in the middle of the festival on Thursday the 11th. So when I took that to the elders council, Aunty Carolyn reminded me, well, you know, on on this country law, every full moon we dance, and I went, okay, so how can we turn the dial up on that? What can we do with that? So we partnered with. Um, uh, Tongbarangi Naga, they're a, a group of three wonderful guys who do a lot of work with their social enterprise, but through the medium of electronica. And they've partnered with Uncle Larry Walsh, a Tanarong elder, who to tell star stories. So under the full moon, we have an elect- electronica dance party going on with Uncle Larry kicking in star story, Victorian star stories throughout the evening. So it should be a lot of fun. And if you're also musically inclined and you want to get along to a, a gig or two, Archie Roach is performing. Uh, and equally significant is a performance by Emma Donovan and the Putbacks, a tribute to the to the late Auntie Ruby Hunter. Yes, so the, the art centre in Melbourne, we have a whole narrative around the honouring the memory of Arnie Ruby, um, as well as you know the living legacies that that she has left. Um, but also with that, we have an exhibition. The Hunter and Roach family have curated um, an exhibition of Arnie Ruby's treasures and collectibles never seen before which will be on display at the Smorgan Plaza throughout the festival and ongoing at the Arts Centre Melbourne. Plus we're also curating um, a, a community exhibition so we're inviting you to send in your memories, you know, take snapshots of maybe it's an old ticket stub or it's an album cover that you really love or it's you with Arnie Ruby at the backstage or it's a, a pick of her at a a concert you once went to with a couple of words or memories and we're going to if you send those through to us then we're going to curate them and they'll be displayed as a big digital exhibition at Arts Centre Melbourne as well. If you want more information about the full program for Yurimboy First Nations Arts Festival, jump online, yurimboy.net.au. That's Y-I-R-R-A-M-B-O-I, yurimboy.net.au. The festival is running from the 5th to the 14th of May. We've only scratched the surface of it because <laughs> there's uh, there's mob coming from around the country. You've invited First Nations artists from around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have Canada, Taiwan, the US, Wales, Zimbabwe, Scotland, PNG, uh, Brazil, Oh, God, where else are they coming from? That's enough to say for now, yeah? <laughs> so it's going to be... I'm really genuinely looking forward to mm. the program and, and whether it's wandering across the city and, fi- and finding work or heading to the meat market for several nights in a row or dancing under the full moon at Fed Square or watching mums and their bubs kind of welcome to country and taking part in the festival. There's a lot of it to see. So, um, yeah, it's going to be good fun. Urine Boy First Nations Arts Festival running from the 5th to the 14th of May. Urine boy.net.au for more details. We've been talking to the creative director, Jacob Bowen. Jacob, thanks heaps for coming in. Thanks, Richard. See you there. Laura Dunneman is a familiar voice to Triple R listeners if you're a, a, a breakfast listener, but uh, she's joined me in the studio to talk about her show for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It's called Flannelette. Hello, Richard. How, you How are you? I'm good. Good, good. I'm anxious to get started on my show tonight because the comedy festival just opened this kicked week. Off, yeah, kicked off last night with kind of like a big show at, what well, I think, the Regent in Collins Street. Yeah, they Street. had their opening, I think it's called Opening Night All-Stars Show. So I was washing my hair. While it was on. <laughs> I was sitting at home prepping just, for this. I was just doing a last minute wash of my hair before I started. Well, it could be the last chance you get for the next month. Yeah. 
just catch up with me at the end of April. Okay, see, I'll come and see if I've formed dreadlocks by that <laughs> stage. Now, tell us about Flannelette, your new show, which is about your life, which includes sitting at home on the couch or <laughs> sitting at home washing your hair when other kids are out and about doing crazy stuff. Yes. Well, I am a stand-up comedian. So there's lots of different types of comedy at the Comedy Festival. My particular brand of comedy is stand-up. So a lot of talking and you often do end up talking about yourself. So I think a lot of my show this year has come out of material that I've written over the past year. I gig a lot around Melbourne, which is fantastic. There's such a like rich stand-up scene in Melbourne. If you think that comedy just exists during comedy festival, then you are living under a rock and there's a lot to see. It's like puppies. A puppy is not just for Christmas. Comedy is not just for the comedy (laughs) festival. Yeah, you've got to nurture that little comedy puppy. (laughs) Um, So I, I have written a lot over the past year and I put it all together and I thought, what am I trying to say about myself and where I am in my life? I'm 31. And so I think what I'm sort of aiming for and aiming to say with my material this year is just talking about settling down. I know that that's a really common topic to talk about for comedians. Not at 31, though. I think comedians talk about settling down when they hit about 50 and they All suddenly right. well, go, maybe oh, a, shit, what have I maybe done? Maybe I'm a 50-year-old inside a 31-year-old's body. But um, I And a, a lot about... Um, I, I realised that I really like physical comfort. I'm going to talk about this in the show, but I really, I realised that I, I love being physically comfortable. I don't wear high heel shoes anymore, for example. Um, I love cuddling up underneath a doona, all that kind of thing. And I realised that if I'm so obsessed with feeling physically comfortable and feeling relaxed, then what what's the emotional equivalent of that? And so I'm sort of on a bit of a journey in terms of being a little bit more comfortable with myself and a little bit more comfortable with how the world sees me. So I I sort of uh, put myself in comparison to um, older women in my life and how they are and how they've been able to adapt to really, they they just don't care about what people think about them. And that's really my goal, my personal goal for myself. I think I'm getting there. So that's what it explores, but in there there's a lot of a lot of jokes, a lot of gags that I've um been testing and workshopping throughout the year, working really so hard. Doing testing by what? Going to uh, to different yeah. rooms and going yeah. just doing here's a, a, a five minute routine, for example. Yeah. I find with, with stand up in particular there's not much that you want to have in your show that you haven't put in front of an audience at some point because you just don't know. There's stuff that you write and you think it's fantastic and then you put it in front of an audience that just doesn't translate or you have to really edit it and workshop it and change it around. It might just be the way, the order. It might just be the way you say things, getting comfortable with particular material. Um, so I, I gig a lot throughout the year Um you know, a few times a week I'll, I'll go out and test stuff and workshop it. So a lot of that material is, is there, but I promise you, you won't have seen it all. <laughs> now, I'm glad to hear this dedication to your craft because over the years I've chatted to quite a few comedians who've gone, yeah, yeah, registered my show, didn't know what to call it, so that was, had to register it six months ago, so called it something and now it's three weeks before the festival and I've got to start writing the oh, damn thing. Oh, that's definitely a thing. Yeah, it's totally a thing. <laughs> but de- you've been talking about material. I wanted to, to ask about Flannelette, which ah, is the name of the show, speaking yes. of material. Is this a reference to uh, getting under the flanny sheets in winter yes. and curling up, for example? Because I wrote my show predominantly underneath the doona dressed in $12 Kmart flannelette pyjamas. So, and it's really my favourite material. I love feeling comfortable. And so I, I see it as a symbol for 
for that and that stage in my life. And there's one line in the show that I say, which is that I want to coat my soul from head to toe in flannelette. <laughs> so it's it's a journey from the outside inwards. <laughs> now, is, this is your second solo show, yeah. full-length solo show? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was last year? Um, it's last time year for it was death? called It's Time for Death. Yeah. And so that was talking a lot about my fear of death and dying, which I still haven't gotten over. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking at some reviews for It's Time to Death and I the the way that this is one of the challenges about comedy as an art it's so subjective what mm. makes me shriek with laughter we'll have yeah. a, a friend sitting next to me with his arms folded yeah. kind of looking frustrated yeah. uh, do you read your reviews I'm not going to this year I've okay. decided you, you read them last year I or? read them last year and I had I had Reviews that were polar opposites. To I know. Each other. I'm just looking at this. It's kind of like going. I had on. I had really good ones. I had ones that were bad and made. And the thing is, like a bad review can make you feel so horrible. And I think I think like I I, I really debated whether I should get reviewed this year. Um, and I think a lot of comedians debate about that because it's such a personal thing. But I decided that I would open myself up to it because I think that it's part of growing a tougher skin and becoming a better performer and you have to put yourself out there. It's just part of it. Yeah. But I, I realised that any review, good ones and bad ones, I find them both really emotional. Even the good ones I, I get a bit emotional about as well. <laughs> and so I realised that the only thing I can control is how I digest it. Yeah. And I, and I really, with Comedy Festival, it's such a fun time. I just want to have fun, you know, and I really think with your show, particularly when you're going on not as a character, you're going on as yourself, it's so important to feel happy, feel comfortable, feel like you're having fun. And I think with comedy that will translate. And so I'm really going to try and look after myself emotionally and physically this year so that I can be my best self when I'm on stage. I'm glad to hear that. No late nights at the bar. Nah. nah. I'll be I'll be doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, I I'm just going to read a, a quote or two from uh, Tim Richards' review from The Age last year of your solo show to give listeners a, a, an idea of what they're in for. Um, you've been described as amusingly intense and slightly unhinged, um, <laughs> uh, compellingly confident, funny and just a bit odd. Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> the, the odd part. <laughs> well, it's better. I, I think kind of being described as just a bit odd is a to me is definitely a compliment as opposed to being described as kind of like everyone else. Yeah, I'm taking it as a compliment. I promise. Well, I know the reviewer. I'm sure I know he meant it as well. <laughs> now, Laura, before you go, I'm. Uh, this is something I regularly ask guests during comedy festival time, and I actually forgot to do it with Nikki Britton at the start of the show because I was still waking up and hadn't had coffee. <laughs> Who else would you recommend uh, that oh, people see, see at part of the, as, as, as at the festival? Because there's so many shows. There's 500 yeah. and something shows. Well, as I said, there's so many different brands of comedy. If you're after something that's a little bit more characterful and maybe a little bit um, – got a little bit of a social message, there's a, a show that I think will be really good by Isabel Angus called Bliss. It's a lot about um, the exercise and health sort of movement on social media, um, that kind of thing. In terms of stand-up, um, Luke Heggie is like a poet when he um, does his stand-up. It's it's quite amazing. Um, and he's in at the same venue as me, so you can see me and then him. Great. And um, Edo is always fantastic and I'm definitely going to try and see Geraldine um, Hickey, of course, from Breakfast as too. 
Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think most of them are already on my list. So, oh, great. Yeah, nice that, one. That, uh, it seems like we have uh, common taste, so that's Lovely. a good sign. Now, uh, Laura is performing her show, Flannelette, at the Tea Room in the Chinese Museum. Um, if you've not been to the Chinese Museum before, it's just off Little Burke Street mm, yeah. in between Russell Street and Exhibition that's Street. That's correct. Slap bang in the middle there. It's a kind of odd venue to it's be It's a in. new one. Yeah. It's a new one for Comedy Festival this year, so ref- I haven't been there yet. I'm going with Afternoon. Reflecting Melbourne's multiculturalism, last year we saw a lot of shows at uh, uh, the. We've seen stuff at the there's Swiss the Greek, restaurant. Yes, before. and there's the Greek Centre. The Greek Centre well. became a big thing last year. Yeah. And so now we're expanding into the Chinese Museum. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you can drink tea in my room. I know it's called the Tea Room, but. <laughs> I, w- I would be shocked if we can't. But. <laughs> So the tea room at the Chinese Museum in the heart of Chinatown is where you will catch Laura Dunneman's show, Flannelette. The show is opening tonight and running through until the 23rd of April, every night except Monday uh, at 7.15pm. No shows Mondays and Sundays an hour earlier at 6.15pm. Tickets are $23 if you go tonight because it's a preview night, 15 bucks. Tuesday nights are tight ass Tuesdays, fifteen bucks as well. Concessions are eighteen bucks during the season, uh, and you can book at comedyfestival.com.au. Laura, thank you for coming in. You nailed that description at the end, Richard. Fantastic. It helps having everything on a media release printed <laughs> out in front of me. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. It's good to have you on. I look forward to seeing the show. Thanks. This has been a podcast from Three Triple R One Hundred Two Point Seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.